I, I think the Lord would like to do miraculous things in our lives. Anybody interested in that? Amen. You, I mean, we, we understand he's already done miraculous things in our life. Um, if, if you don't, if, if you're here, you know, we were singing that song, You Do Miracles So Great. And I was reflecting on some of the miracles that he's done in my life. And uh, I thought as I just sort of glanced around the room, I thought, man, the room is full of miracles. And if, if you struggle to see where God has done a miracle in your life, then you need ask the Lord, Lord, show me. Show me the miracles you've done. If you have ever, if you have ever been baptized in his name and your sins have washed away, that is probably one of the greatest miracles that has ever taken place in your life. That all of your sin and failure and mistakes were removed from your life so that you would not be judged for them. What a miracle. What an amazing miracle of the blood of the Lamb. A miracle that God would wrap himself in flesh, shed his own blood so that you and I could be free from sin and that we could enter into the application of the blood through the water. What a miracle. I mean, what a miracle. I thank God for it, that he would save, as the song says, a wretch like me. It's a miracle. And I thank God for it today. It's a miracle that you all show up week after week and listen to <laughs> Some of you don't think so. I'm telling you, it's a miracle to me. <laughs> but he would like to operate in us. You know, there is a... Uh, I, I want us to pray together before we go any further. Bless you. And I'd like us to pray in our own way that God would help us today to hear what he wants us to hear the way he wants us to hear it. Could we do that? In, in your words, talk to the Lord about your hearing, my hearing. Lord, give us ears to hear. I pray ears to hear, not only ears to hear, God, I want a heart to receive that which you would speak. I pray a discerning ear given of the Holy Ghost. I pray every hindrance or barrier in my life that would get in the way and try to block that which you would want me to hear. I pray let it be torn down. Let there be no hindrance to hearing what you say. Let our ears be tender and sensitive and our heart receptive to that which you speak. I pray revelation and understanding. I pray wisdom that comes from you that we would be strengthened by your word, edified, O oh Lord, in Jesus' name. I pray an anointing upon these lips of clay that I would speak those things that come of you in Jesus' name. We take authority that you have already given. We enter into your authority today by your word and by your name. 
And I pray a clear sound in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. I, I think of the place in Scripture in Genesis where Jacob went and he awoke from a dream. He had the dream, we often refer to it as Jacob's Ladder, where he saw angels ascending and descending. You know that place in Scripture? just want to make sure you know I'm in the Word since I didn't point you to the Scripture this morning by reading a specific verse. He, he saw angels ascending and descending there, and he woke up from it, and he makes the statement that you've heard me share many times or you've read many times. He makes the statement, Jacob said, Surely the Lord was in this place, and I knew it not. Or in today's English, surely the Lord was here where I am, and I didn't know he was here. Think about how astounding that statement really is. That God himself could be present where you are, where Jacob was, and you could be unaware that God was there. That's a startling thing. That is a, um, a fearful thing to me. I want to be aware, and I want him to not just be present. I want, as Jacob witnessed, the manifestation of his presence. Amen? I, we know that he's omnipresent. God is everywhere, all places at all times. But because he's always present doesn't mean his presence is always made manifest. And so I want to be aware of the manifestation, the manifest presence of God. And so it's an interesting thing. Just bear with me this morning. We're sort of finding our way here. I, I find a unique thing in Scripture when you look. I, I often go back to the tabernacle. As many of you know, I have a place in my heart that God's given me for the tabernacle. And I go back to the tabernacle and the Lord giving Moses instruction to the plans for the tabernacle and the building thereof. And, and he goes through all of that, badger skins and goat skins dyed in different woods and some overlaid with brass and some with gold and all the furniture and the laying out. And what a beautiful, beautiful thing. And, and so we see this tabernacle built in the wilderness and at the dedication of the tabernacle, Moses follows and Aaron follows the instruction of the Lord through Moses and they offer sacrifices unto the Lord at the dedication of the tabernacle. You can go find it in Scripture. And the Lord responds to them at the dedication of this tabernacle in the wilderness. And this dedication, the presence of the Lord comes, the glory of the Lord comes and fills the tabernacle. And the Scripture declares that the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle so much that no man could enter in. It's in there. You have to go search this afterwards, or maybe I'll do some homework this afternoon and send you the Scriptures. But so much so that man could not enter in because the glory of the Lord so filled the tabernacle. What a beautiful thing. And then you... you 
You go a little bit further in Scripture and you find David who is so moved by this when he brings the Ark of the Covenant back to Israel after it had been... Because you understand they understand that the tabernacle in the wilderness, it became clear to them that the tabernacle wasn't just a way to worship God. It wasn't just a way to approach God. It wasn't just a way to deal with their sin. It wasn't just a way to do those things. But the tabernacle was actually first and foremost, and above all else, the tabernacle was a place that represented where the presence of God would dwell. Yes? Where the presence of God would dwell. I I feel like the Lord wants to talk to us today about the place where he dwells anybody interested in where God lives and so so we see the we see the glory of the Lord come and fill the tabernacle and man can't go in and so then David you you know we fast forward through time Israel goes and does their own thing does their own way and they the tabernacle's still with them but they have lost a love for the presence of God They have lost a love for the manifest presence of God. And so the tabernacle's there, but they're going. It used to be that they would inquire of the Lord about everything they did. They they learned when he brought them out of Egypt. You know, sometimes it takes some bondage. He brought them out of Egypt and the Lord gave them the tabernacle. But before he gave them the tabernacle, they had learned to follow him. They followed the pillar of cloud by day, the pillar of fire by night. They learned to become ones that simply moved as he said move. And, And then he gave them the tabernacle. And then the pillar of cloud and fire sat over the tabernacle. And when it picked up and moved, they picked up the tabernacle and moved. And they went where he went. They understood that. They realized God was teaching them something. He's teaching, I don't stay stationary. If you want to know where I dwell, you got to be willing to move when I move. You can't get fixated in a place and expect that I'll always manifest in that place that way. Yes, he had a pattern. Yes, he had a way of approach. Yes, he had expectations about those things. But it was never a fixed geographic location. He was trying to establish something to the children of Israel. you got to be willing to move when I move if you want to know where I dwell. Amen? And so the tabernacle of Moses moved with them as they moved. But what happened is they came into the promised land. They still had the tabernacle there and they still went, but they felt like they had arrived. They had arrived in Israel. It was a place promised to them and they knew they'd arrived. They now had land which they hadn't had before and they now every tribe had their land. They started building houses and They had vineyards they didn't plant. The promises of God came to them. They're now living in this place of, dare I say, comfort. Yeah? They're now living in this place of comfort. Feels good there. They like, God's still, the tabernacle's still in the midst of the camp. But they were no longer continuing to practice the presence of God. And they went into battle 
and started to lose, and they didn't know what to do. And they decided, "Uh uh-oh, maybe we need the presence of God to help us after all, the Spirit of God to help us. And so someone had this crazy idea. And the crazy thing about it was not only was Israel now numbed to the presence and the manifestation of God, sadly, even the priests had become ritualistic and routine in their processes in approaching to God. Eli had gotten casual, and Eli's sons were not following in his way, Hophni and Phinehas, and he wasn't even correcting them because he was just, you know, moving along and and letting them do what they did without correction, and Eli was no longer walking as he should have through these things, and and. You, you see, and it's an interesting thing when you look in Scripture. And so Israel's concerned about losing this battle. And so someone has the idea, I know what to do. The Philistines are defeating us. I know what to do. Go back and get the Ark of the Covenant out of the tabernacle. Bring the Ark of the Covenant to us. Because the ark represented to them the presence of the Lord. They knew that the presence and the glory of God would first come down between the cherubims over the mercy seat when the blood was applied on the day of atonement. And so they were like, go get the ark. And they make this statement in Scripture saying, it will save us. And they turned the presence and the glory of God into an it rather than a who. Go get the ark. It will save us. And so they go and they get the ark and they bring it into the camp of Israel. And Israel has faith all of a sudden. It ignites and the scripture says a great shout goes up from the camp of Israel. And they shout and the Philistines hear it and they're smitten with fear. And they hear that the ark of the covenant has come into the camp of Israel. And the Philistines said among themselves, lest they... I'm paraphrasing here. You have to go read it in Scripture. But the Philistines said, lest they get in vain, let's get up. Let's go strengthen yourself. Let's go fight. And the Philistines go and fight, and they defeat Israel. And the Philistines take the ark. Now, they take it, and they put it in their temple with their god, Dagon, And so just in case you think, well, they got defeated with the ark, apparently the presence of God didn't operate anymore. Oh, no. The issue was where their heart was. There was no issue with the presence of God. Because they took, the Philistines took that ark, and they put it in their temple of their god, Dagon, and they get up the next day, and they come into the temple, and Dagon has fallen down. Their, their stone idol had fallen down. And they thought, what a strange thing. And so they took their stone god or whatever it was made out of and stood it back up. I don't know how big it was. I don't know. They stood this stone god back up, Dagon. And the next day they come back and the Lord's like, well, they're not getting the picture. And they come in and the scripture says the hands of Dagon had come off. I think something else had fell off too. I can't remember if it was his head or something else. But they had broken off and he was fell down. They couldn't just stand him back up anymore. He was dismembered. Except it wasn't he, it. It was dismembered. It was just a statue. It. See, their God was an it. 
Israel's God was a, is a who? And so the Philistines are like, okay, we got to get this thing out of here. Because then the Lord started smiting them with these different issues in their body and in their health. And they had mice and all these issues. And they're like, it's the God of Israel. They may think it's an it that's going to save them. But we realize it's he that's going to destroy us if we don't get him out of here. You see, evil just won't dwell in the presence of God. Even evil recognizes, I've either got to let it change me. Or I got to get the presence of God away from my life. I hope that when the presence of God begins to deal with my life, my response is change whatever you've got to change in me. Heal whatever you've got to heal in me. Purge whatever you've got to purge in me. I want to practice the presence of God. I want to be where he dwells. And so... The Philistines say, here's what we're going to do. We're walking through a lot of scripture this morning. You have to go read all this. They say, here's what we're going to do. Look, let's take this Ark of the Covenant. Let's put it on a, a cart. And let's get some cows who have calves. And let's separate the cows from their calves. And let's attach them to the Ark. And if this thing that's happening to us, these mice and these sicknesses that are afflicting our body... If it just is like coincidence and it's, you know, just happening, but the God of Israel has nothing to do with it, then these cows will do what cows that are separated from their calves do. They will make their way back to their calves who are over here bawling and going, I want mom and I want, you know, whatever they say in their language. But if it's God then we'll believe that these cows will go contrary to their own nature and walk towards Beth Shemesh. Let's put them on the way. And so they do. They get this ark that, where the presence of God is represented. They put it on the cart. They get these cows. And these cows, contrary to their nature... Look at that. Even bovine nature will submit itself to God. You want to talk about how strong the human will is. Human nature won't sometimes. But even a cow's nature will be submitted to God. And so the Bible says they went straight towards Beth Shemesh. Lowing as they went. What are they lowing about? Well, their calves are back here. But they had a mandate from God, and they were responding to the leading of God. Even cows did that. Now, so we're talking about where the Lord dwells. And so, long story short, David gets the ark ultimately where it lands in Beth Shemesh. Over time it moves, and, but he gets it back to Jerusalem. He worships and sacrifices. Why? Because David values the presence of God. And so Uzzah didn't value the presence of God. The ark shook the first time they tried to move it from where it ended up, and he put his hand up to steady the ark, and when he did, and he touched the ark, the Lord slew him, and Uzzah died. And so they're like, okay, hold on. We can't move it just yet. We better leave it right here. Right? 
And people are like, I can't believe God killed Uzzah. What in the world? He was just trying to keep. No, what had happened is Uzzah had lost a reverence for the presence of God. He should have known, I do not touch this. But he didn't even consider touching the ark. He had become so out of touch. He, you know, he wasn't just some bystander. Uzzah was one that was a try. He knew he had a responsibility for the movement of the ark. But that represented the presence of God. But he has so lost a reverence for the presence of God that he thought he could touch it with human hands without being the way God intended him to move the presence of God. The presence of God was never meant to be born on an ark, which is what they had done. The children of it, Philistines did that, but then the children of Israel also did that, which was violating God's plan for the movement of his presence. God's plan for the children of Israel was always that the presence of God would be born upon the shoulders of men. They would take staves and put them through loops in the ark. And men would then take those staves. And they would not touch the ark, but they would take the staves. And they would bear the, the presence of the Lord, the ark of the covenant that represented the presence. They would bear it. The presence of God has always been designed to be carried by men. Somebody hear me again. The presence of God has always been designed to be carried by men. Where we get in trouble is when men try to take credit for and put their hands on the presence of God. Men are simply the vehicle. They are not the source. They are not greater than that which they are used of God to transport. Now watch. So David... After some time, he says, okay, I'm going to go to Obed-Edom's house. I'm going to sacrifice. We're going to get the presence of God back in Jerusalem, back in the tabernacle where it belonged. And he gets the ark. Long story short, he would go six paces and he would sacrifice and worship the Lord. Six more paces and sacrifice and worship the Lord. And you look and you study. We don't have time this morning. You look and study the, different, the distance from Obed-Edom's house all the way to Jerusalem. There was a lot of sacrifice. As he came into Jerusalem, he began to dance before the Lord, the Bible says, with all of his might. And David, before he danced before the Lord, he took off his kingly garments. Why? Because he was not, he was not doing anything that would distract from the king that he was worshiping. He did not want Israel watching him as king. He wanted Israel following his example of worship to the king of kings. David was ushering in the presence of God. He was not just bringing back a piece of furniture. He understood, I'm ushering in the presence of God. I've sacrificed along the way because I'm ushering in the presence of God. It's not something that I am producing. I'm simply doing that of which he's worthy and offering it, and the presence of God will manifest itself. No doubt, of course, it was the psalmist that declared, the, the Lord inhabits the praises of Israel. He dwells there. David understood that, and so he offered praise. The writer of Hebrews, we referenced this briefly Thursday night, the writer of Hebrews talked about offering the sacrifice of praise continually. That is the fruit of our lips unto the Lord. And so this sacrifice of praise, it's not something I do because I feel like it. I'm offering it because I understand praise is somewhere he dwells. 
I'm offering it. And David understood, I'm ushering in the presence of God. Now his wife, she was full of pride. And so she looked out the window and she saw David worshiping, ushering in the presence of God. And she said, didn't the king make a fool out of himself today? David said, I wasn't dancing for you. I'm paraphrasing. He didn't back down. He didn't apologize. He acknowledged, I was worshiping the Lord. He didn't let pride keep him from worship. He understood who he was worshiping. And he knew the object of his worship was worthy of all of his worship. Now, David so loved the presence of God that David said to the prophet, I would like to build a house for the Lord to dwell. I dwell in a beautiful home, he said. But the Lord dwells in this tent. David loved the presence of God. So much so, you understand, David, it wasn't just about, I want to be known for building a fancy place. David so loved the presence of God that he said, I would like to build something that is beautiful, that is in some small way an expression of the worth of he who dwells there. Therefore, David had it in his heart, I want to build a temple. And the Lord said, no, you won't do it. But your son will. And so David so valued the dwelling place of God, the presence of God, that David said, fine, I won't get to build it, but I'll make sacrifices that my son can lay hold of in order to build it. And David began to take the spoils of war and things from his house and began to set them aside and lay them aside and set them up so that the tabernacle could be built, the temple could be built. And Solomon, we know, built a temple. It was called Solomon's Temple. But if you study the scripture, yes, Solomon had cedar brought in. Yes, he had gold brought in. But much of what he started with, he didn't have brought in. David, who had a desire to build a dwelling place for the presence of God said, I'm going to sacrifice even if I don't see it fully in my life because I know what it is to be in the presence of God. And I want to do something where there's a place where the presence of God is always dwelling where I'm at. I want to be where God dwells. And so David set aside and sacrificed to have a place for the dwelling presence of God. And Solomon built a temple, and we're fast-forwarding here. Solomon built this magnificent temple, and he builds this temple, and then he begins to dedicate this temple. And upon the dedication of this temple, thousands upon thousands of sacrifices are made upon multiple altars that he has. And so these sacrifices are made, and we see a repeat 
in some ways of what we saw at Moses' tabernacle dedication. We see the glory of the Lord come and fill the tabernacle that Solomon had built unto the Lord. And the glory of the Lord comes and fills the place. And the scripture declares, just as it did in Moses' day, that the glory of the Lord was so thick in Solomon's temple that men could not enter in. There is here, of course, a principle that we see that when the presence and the power and the glory of the Lord comes as he intends, it's the reason why the writer in the New Testament, I believe it was the Apostle Paul, said, no flesh will glory in his presence. What is it? It doesn't mean that men cannot receive and be ministered to by the presence of God. It doesn't mean that men cannot dwell in the presence of God. It simply means that men cannot take credit for the presence and the glory of God. We see it established again. We read the book of Ezekiel, the prophet, and he talks about a wheel in the middle of a wheel and eyes on every side and it moving and wings that lifted and it goes. You understand if you read Ezekiel and you dig into that and you look at that, what he was describing was the presence of God. You see, because it started in the temple, but it lifted out of the temple and it began to move about. And the Lord again is indicating, I'm not stagnant. I don't stay in a fixed place, but my presence, my power, my glory, the manifestation thereof, is always designed to move, to go. I go. John said it, or John wrote it. Jesus said it when he was speaking to Nicodemus. He said, you must be born again of the water and of the Spirit. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and you can hear the sound thereof, but you can't tell where it's coming from or where it's going. Such are they that are born of the Spirit. And we find the Apostle Paul writing in Corinthians to the church, and he says, what do you not know that you are the temple of the Holy Ghost, that you You are the dwelling place of God. I'm telling you, we have to recognize what we see exampled in that long foundation I just laid of the Old Testament, that there is a place that God desires to dwell. He desires to manifest His presence. He desires to show forth His glory. It is the plan, the purpose, and the design of God. To have a dwelling place. Not a dwelling place like you and I might think to get away from it all. But a dwelling place whereby his glory is made manifest. His purpose of the tabernacle in the wilderness was to manifest his glory to Israel and to be the one that led them wherever they went. The dwelling place of God. We find in the book of Acts, the uh, apostle Paul on his journey, he comes to a place called Mars Hill. And as he's there at Mars Hill, He's speaking to them, and he says, as I passed by, he's speaking of their different, they had all these gods they worshipped, and he says, as I passed by, I saw an altar at one of your places, and the altar had this inscription on it. It said, to the unknown God on the altar. 
And Paul said, you, whom you ignorantly worship, you just don't know. He said, I've come to tell you, he is a God that does not dwell in temples made with hands. The Old Testament was simply a pattern and an example to us of the ultimate plan of God, that he would dwell in temples not made with hands. What? Know ye not that you are the temple of the Holy Ghost, and you are not your own. You have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are his, is what the Apostle Paul said. You and I are designed to be the place where God dwells. It's his design. We're designed to be the place where God dwells. This is why Jesus could say, don't say low here or low there. The kingdom of God is within you. He designed us to be transporters of his spirit and be a vessel, a temple through which his glory could be made manifest. This is the design of God for your life and mine. So what happens? How is it that my life can be filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost? Because you understand that the filling of the Holy Ghost is the incoming of the Spirit of God upon a life. Death is the sacrifice at the altar in the tabernacle. Baptism is the application of the blood, the washing of sins at the laver in the temple in the tabernacle. And then the infilling of the Holy Ghost is the glory of the Lord coming to the Ark of the Covenant, except now it comes in temples not made with hands. So when you receive the baptism of the gift of the Holy Ghost, speaking with other tongues as he gives you the utterance, it is the indwelling Spirit of God, not just so he can say, I came there and I have a dwelling place, but it's now that his presence can be manifest through your life and mine, and his glory can be revealed He wants to reveal his glory. He's mobile. And here's the challenge. Here's what happens. Through time, humanity became people that went to church, that did church, that had church, that came to church, and stopped being the church. And the building became viewed as the place where he dwelled. Rather than the responsibility we have of being the dwelling place of God. No flesh will glory in his presence. Do you know why the glory of God doesn't manifest himself through our lives more than he does? 
flesh. Flesh. I don't like the answer any more than you do. Flesh. My flesh gets in the way. It's why I have to die daily. Die to myself, die to my will, die to my ambition, die to my pursuits. Why? Because I acknowledge the truth of the Word of God. I am, you are, the temple of the Holy Ghost. Now watch. So how do I get the presence of God and the glory of God to manifest and fill this tabernacle? Anybody interested in that? Would you like the presence and power of God to fill this tabernacle? I don't mean me. I, I want it for me, but for you. There's only one way. Not rocket science. There's no deep, hidden. The word is very clear. There's only one way. He always responds to the sacrifice. Always. In Moses' tabernacle, when Moses sacrificed at the dedication of the temple, when Solomon sacrificed, the glory of the Lord filled it so that no flesh could enter in. The glory of the Lord so filled the tabernacle that flesh could not get in the place where the glory was. We spend so much time trying to deal with our flesh rather than sacrificing and getting the glory of God to fill the place and letting it drive out flesh. This is why the Apostle Paul said in Romans 12, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed or shaped by this world, but be transformed or changed by the renewing of your mind, the renovation of how you think, that you may prove. How do you prove it? Well, the reality is you and I don't really prove it. We're simply the vessels upon which the presence and power of God vehicles. And so when we offer ourselves as a sacrifice, now we're dead. Now the glory of the Lord can be made manifest through the temple, not made with hands. And our lives prove the glory of the Lord begins to manifest, and it proves the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God every day, everywhere we go. I want to be where he dwells. I don't mean that. That could be taken two ways. I don't mean that like I want to be over here where he dwells. I don't mean it that way. I mean, I want to be where he dwells. I want to be the temple that he sees me as, that he designed me to be, that he designed you to be. 
the scripture is clear. He told Jeremiah, he's no respected person. Before I formed you in your mother's womb, I knew you. Who built the tabernacle? He did. He formed you before he knew you, or before your mother knew you. Or he knew you before you were formed in his mother's womb. He framed the tabernacle. But here's the thing. The Lord told Moses when he built the tabernacle, this kind of wood, overlay it this way, do this this way, make this furniture this way, this animal skin colored this this animal skin, that, lay it over this way, do it that, move it this, move it that. And the Lord repeated multiple times, you build it exactly according to the fashion that I showed you. Yes? Do you think that God really cares what his temple looks like? I mean, does it matter to him? Do you think he cares where the temple goes? Do you think he cares what the temple engages in? What should decide where the temple goes? The temple? Or the presence of God? And therein becomes the challenge for us. The Old Testament pattern that we saw established in the wilderness was the temple went where the presence of God moved. The presence of God didn't move when the temple went. And we get it backwards in our walk with God if we're not careful. We seek to try to direct the presence of God where we go. Versus saying presence of God... I'll move when you move. You show when the pillar of cloud moves, the temple moved. When the pillar of fire moved, the temple moved. Again, John chapter 3. You must be born again of the water and of the spirit. Yes? That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I say you must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth. You hear the sound thereof, but you can't tell where it's coming from or where it's going. Such are they that are born of the spirit. That could just as easily say, I'm not trying to change scripture, but I'm trying to bring it into what we've Such are they that are the filled temples of the Holy Ghost. What happens? The wind, which is likened to the Spirit, blows where it chooses. Where does it choose to go today? Okay, then that's where the temple goes. I don't control the presence of God, though he dwells here. He dwells here so that he can control the temple. We got to get this priority right. We got we to get this order right. The temple is controlled by the presence, not the other way around. The moment the temple tries to control the presence of God, it becomes flesh. 
flesh can't glory in his presence. I'd like you to stand with me today. I realize this isn't deeply revelatory today. I can just only take you on this journey that he has me walking on. I want his glory to be made manifest. But we have to either we believe the word of God or we do not. And if I believe the word of God, then I believe that I and you are the temple. You know, when the queen of Ethiopia came and visited Solomon, she saw all his grandeur. She saw the temple. She saw what he built in his house and all this stuff. She said, I'm paraphrasing. Again, go read it. She said, you know, I didn't believe all this stuff I heard. I had to come see for myself. And she said, I've come. And she said, the glory is greater than I even thought. The half hadn't been told. What happens when you and I start every day at a place of sacrifice with the sole purpose of dying so that the glory of the Lord would manifest himself through the temple. What happens when I walk into the workplace and I died before I ever left my home that morning and I've already been practicing the presence of God and I understand I'm not my own and I come in and the glory of God is shining about and no one's seen me, but they're like, man, I don't know what it is. When I get around you, something, oh, and you understand it's not me. It's the glory of the Lord because it is through us. You can read it in Paul's gospel or in Paul's epistles. He makes it clear. The glory of the Lord is revealed through his church. He chose to put his glory on the church. And you read a little bit further in Paul's writings, and he makes these statements about us individually, the temple of the Holy Ghost. And then he starts, come here, Joel. Come here, Brother Wilson. And he starts hooking us together in unity of spirit, the indwelling spirit of God. And he knits us together in unity of the spirit. And the Apostle Paul, in his letter, called it this. He said, you are a building fitly framed together. You are a holy habitation of the Lord. You, together in unity, become a place where the Lord dwells. The writer of Psalms said, there, he will command a blessing, even life forevermore. Are you interested 
in being the place where he dwells and where his glory is made manifest. That's what's going to change the world. And there's no pressure. The only responsibility I have, I guess there's two. Number one, die. The sacrifice. And then number two, just follow the leading of the pillar of cloud or fire. Just follow the leading of his spirit every day. I'm opening this altar to you this morning. I'm done. The Lord would ask today a fresh reverence. Come on, how do you treat the temple? How do I treat the temple? What does his dwelling place look like? I'm the dwelling place. What does it look like? How does this dwelling place live day to day? Casually or in reverence and fear of the living God who dwells here? There must be a return to the fear of the Lord so that the glory of the Lord can be made manifest to our world. Jesus, 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 what an honor that we would be called your dwelling place. What an honor that we would be called the temple of the Most High. I seek your face today. I pray, Father, fill this house. Come on, do you see Jesus in his earthly ministry? He goes into the temple at Jerusalem, and he's grieved by what he sees. He sees that they've turned the temple into a place of merchandise. They've turned the temple into a place of personal gain and personal agenda and personal ambitions. And he's so angry at what they've turned the temple into that he braids a cord and makes a whip and he begins to drive flesh out of the tabernacle. He drives flesh out. He turns over man-made things that have filled the tabernacle that were never intended to be there. He turns over the tables of money changers. I believe the whip that he had began to come in contact with flesh. What was he doing? He was setting an example. The scripture declares from the prophet, the zeal of your house hath eaten me up. I would today the zeal of the Lord would come into this tabernacle not made with hands. And I pray the love of God would come and purge this tabernacle of anything man-made, of any ambition of man. Oh God, do the work in my spirit so that your presence dwells and your glory is revealed.
Let me not practice your presence for personal gain. Let me not practice your presence for personal ambition. Let me not practice your presence to get any praise of men. God forbid, but that all glory and honor would come to you. I pray, fill your tabernacle. Restore to us a reverence and a revelation of who we are as temples of the Most High God. Restore to us an understanding and a confidence and a belief in your holy word. You desire, you desire to manifest your glory. You desire to manifest your presence. We humble ourselves before you, the living God. We humble ourselves in the midst of you, the Holy One. Let our lives be purged by your blood and by your spirit. And I pray let your throne be established upon our heart afresh and anew. Let the glory of the Lord be revealed everywhere we go. Let us have a sensitivity to the moving of your spirit. That this temple would move as your spirit moves. That this temple would move as your glory moves. That we would be led of you in every facet. That the world would see and know your presence and your power that the world would be transformed as your glory is revealed through your body in the name of Jesus I pray in the name of Jesus I pray come on it's his desire for you we're not pleading with him to do what he desires Our prayer is to get ourselves out of the way to get this carnal man crucified so that he can do all that he intends. He desires to do this more than we want to recognize or can even understand. He desires to manifest his glory. He desires to manifest his glory. And he's chosen you and I to manifest it through.